You're listening to Geek Cred, episode 46, featuring Brian Brushwood. Hello, Internet. I'm Steve Rickyberg, and welcome to Geek Cred, the podcast that delivers in-depth, behind-the-scenes interviews about everything geek. And on this episode, I am pleased to introduce magician and podcaster extraordinaire, Ryan Brushwood. Welcome to Geek Cred. Dude, thank you so much for having me. This is a total blast. So, Brian, to start off, especially for those that might not be familiar with you, tell me a little bit about yourself and about your background. Who is the man, the myth, the legend, Brian Brushwood? <laughs> well, I'll tell you who the guy is. The guy is somebody who hosts a show on the Revision 3 network called Scam School. We call it the show about social engineering at the bar and on the street, which basically means each five to ten minute episode, we teach you how to screw your friends out of free beer at the bar. Before that, I've been uh, spending the last, I don't know, decade or so touring all over colleges nationwide, performing a bizarre magic show with fire eating escapes, mind reading. I stick nails in my eyes. I break bricks over my head, sort of a punk rock magic show. And before even that, there was Brian Brushwood, the geek who wanted to work in the video games industry, who became a 3D modeler and animator who tested video games for Rockwell Semiconductors. Uh, and then before that, I think I was an embryo. <laughs> as as most of us were. Maybe right. not all of us, but I'm going to say most of us. See, that's, thought, that's how I'm endearing myself to the audience. And I'm like, weren't we all embryos <laughs> at some yeah. point? I didn't know about that, your history in the video game industry. Well, that's the funny part is on stage, I work very, very hard to look completely idiotic, like a total dumbass who does nothing but but really dangerous stuff on stage. Uh, but there was there was a long time that I that I wanted to be smart. And so I actually studied at the Plan 2 Honors Program, which is a, a, a highly selected liberal arts program at the University of Texas at Austin. They only take like 150 students each year. Wow. And uh, I was convinced I would become a scientist or a mathematician or do something that actually mattered to the world. And uh, perversely, I am an idiot who teaches people <laughs> to, you know, light matches on their teeth for a living <laughs> instead. So you are definitely known for your magic and for that act. How did you get into magic? Is this something you always were interested in or was it just kind of a natural progression? What was that journey to becoming a full-time magician? I had that same passing interest that I think a lot of eight-year-olds have in magic, but mm. I, I dropped it pretty quickly. So, but, but I do have some epic footage of me totally failing at my first magic. <laughs> in fact, I play it on stage every time I get the chance to. But uh, my magic fetish started really when I went to college and a friend of mine showed me a card trick and wouldn't tell me how it was done. And purely out of spite, I was like, well, screw you. I'm going to be a better magician than you ever were. I'm going to learn tricks that'll fool you, sucker. And so uh, uh, but <laughs> while I was exploring magic, it was always with the thought that this would be a supplemental thing. It never occurred to me that I would do it as a full-time job. And it certainly never occurred to me that it would be the kind of thing that would get me on The Tonight Show twice and a bunch of other TV shows as well. It was always with the thought that wherever I ended up in life, it'll be good to know a few cool tricks. And uh, by the time I graduated college, I had a decent little 30-minute show that I would do on the sides. In fact, uh, every... Thursday night, or maybe it was Wednesday night, every Wednesday night, I would uh, perform at the Electric Lounge down just off of 6th Street here in Austin during the break of the Asylum Street Spankers, a very uh, uh, Austin famous acoustic band. They would go on and then take a break and I would perform and then pass the hat. And 
somewhere around May of 1999, I was thinking like, I don't know, maybe one of these days I should try doing this full time. And it was always one of those one of these days down the road I could do it type things. Right. But then I got a raise at my job at Dell and it scared the crap out of me because <laughs> Wait, All of a sudden, I wait, was making grown-up you, money. You, you got a raise, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's like you, you got well, a raise. Oh, what do I do now? <laughs> it, well, well, I, I mean, it freaked me out because I was just like, "Oh crap! If they do this again, I don't ever walk away from that kind of money." Right. It's okay. like that's how yeah. that's how you end up doing something you hate for the rest of your life is the money just gets too good. So, as a direct result of that raise, I announced at the height of the dot com bubble when everyone was convinced we were going to be internet millionaires, I up and said, uh, "Hey." I'm going to quit my job and give up all my stock options so I could do magic. And everybody's pretty prescient now. <laughs> no, well, and that, that's the funny part, because at the time, everyone's just like, I'm sorry, you're doing what? And I remember my boss's boss came in to negotiate because they are apparently really happy with me. And they're like, all right, Brian, what's going to take to keep you? And I'm like, um, somehow pay me to do magic instead of this. And they're like, <laughs> well, have a good career. <laughs> But it ended up being the right decision because two years later, I, I made it onto The Tonight Show and the dot-com bubble had burst. So all my friends were unemployed and I was, uh, I was out there rocking on the road. Yeah, yeah. So on the road, I mean, you've spent a lot of time touring, so I'm sure you've got some stories. Tell me a little bit about some of your funniest or most memorable experiences. Oh my gosh, I don't even know where to begin. It's so much overloading. I could, uh, when you asked that, it was like this, this, flash montage of a show in West Virginia where the audience was so not prepared for the weird stuff I was doing that somebody actually stood up and threw fruit at my stage. Like that actually happened. That actually happens. Uh, oh no, like, <laughs> that was a cartoon thing, but apparently right. that actually yeah. And then, uh, then it flashes forward a decade to being on stage at, uh, you know, headlining Universal Orlando's Halloween Horror Nights and performing for over 100,000 people in this 2000 seat auditorium, you know, and then it flashes over to the launch of Scam School. The first few times I performed with Dignation Live. Think about, uh, you know, appearing on The Tonight Show or, or most recently back in, in December of last year appearing on a uh, television special in Indonesia where wow. they just wanted me to do, they flew me literally halfway across the world to do exactly two tricks. And right before I go on stage, I say, Hey, how many people are watching this? And they're like, Oh, about 30%. And I'm like, 30% of what? They're like the country. And I was <laughs> oh, man. How big no is pressure. The and they're like, Oh, we're, uh, Indonesia is 200 million. So 60, 70 million people. That's how many yeah. people are watching you live. And even then, it's like, oh, so when you say live, you mean like you record it and, or, you know, it's pretty much live. And they're like, no, no, it's live, live. Like, there's nothing we could do. And 70 million people are watching you at that moment. Oh, and crap. Like, okay. <laughs> Yikes. So on one hand, you've got your crazy antics on the road as a magician. Well, at the same time, I know you're kind of a family man. So how do you kind of rectify those two differing personalities? It's kind of cool to have this split personality because when I'm on the road, I'm 100%. I'm exactly as I was as a bachelor. The only difference being is I'm not allowed to get laid. But when I was a bachelor, I never got laid anyway. <laughs> so it's exactly like being a bachelor, right? And then I come home and I get to be super dad. I got two daughters now, a four-year-old and a seven-year-old. And uh, I would complain about being a homebody when I'm actually home. 
But if not for the internet, man, the internet is magic and live broadcasting is magic to where now I would much rather go upstairs to the studio, turn on the live stream, have 500 of my best friends show up and have some all night party with them <laughs> looking at the most outrageous stuff on right. the web, commenting, you know, taking calls and that kind of thing, rather than hang with six close friends here in town. Uh, not that I don't love my friends here in town, but just like um, I'm not a fan of driving on the road. I'm not I'm not a fan of having to worry about how much I'm drinking and secure a ride back. I'm not a fan of having to smell other people's breath at crowded stinky bars. I'm a fan <laughs> of interacting with people and creating that electricity of of uh, just having a good time with people and you could do that virtually now and and yep. luckily yep. I'm at a point in my career where I could do it live in front of people as well. Right. Yay for technology. I'm telling you. That's for sure. I wouldn't be able to do what I do, and you probably wouldn't be able to do a lot of what you do. So I would agree. So you are known in college circles as that guy with the crazy hair who eats fire and does these bizarre tricks, which is definitely you. But at the same time, I've gotten to meet you, and you are a genuine uber geek. Don't tell anyone. It's a secret. <laughs> That's one of those things where it's, like I say, I work as hard as I can to... Uh, to try to pretend I'm cool. And, uh, well, I don't know. I would say in my entire life, it's never been more cool to be a geek. Yeah, it's like it's geek really is the a new satisfying cool, so, time to yeah. be into science fiction, fantasy, video gaming, tabletop gaming, even live action role playing have all really come around now to where it's the safest and best time to be a geek ever. So you were always into this stuff. You were always a geek growing up. Oh, sure. No, we, I played uh, tabletop Dungeons and Dragons back in the day. I was really heavy into Games Workshop. I remember starting off playing uh, Talisman and then uh, playing all the expansion packs, including including Time Warp, which everyone hated, but I love Time Warp. <laughs> Talisman Dungeons was good, too. I even played the, um, the single-player Chainsaw Warrior game. I played the tabletop Blood Bowl game, which was like fantasy football, like, like literally like casting spells to kill orcs who have the football kind nice, of thing. Nice, nice. Uh, and then uh, I remember, um, this is how deliciously geeky I was. The most agonizing decision in high school was whether or not I would sell my Todd McFarlane uh, Todd McFarlane was an assistant artist on the Hulk for a long time, whether I would sell those initial Todd McFarlane episodes of the Hulk so that I could buy an Atari Lynx. Uh, and I actually felt uh. guilty. Atari Lynx, I don't know if you remember, it was a competitor to the Game Boy, but it was full color. This thing was a giant beast and you could flip it over to play it right-handed or left-handed. It was, uh, it was, I don't know, it was about the size of a freaking shoebox, basically. What else, dude? I remember, uh, I remember playing Magic the Gathering with black-bordered alphas, which there are five Magic fans who are just like, get out, really? <laughs> I remember giving away my Black Lotus, not realizing how much it was worth. Uh, yeah, man, I'd, I'd say I've been obsessed with games and gaming and uh, all things geek as long as I can remember. So this is this is truly just who you are. You know, I, I said the two personalities. Yeah, I think it's almost the three personalities. <laughs> Yeah, there's Brian, the onstage weirdo. There's Brian, the closet computer nerd. And then there's Brian, the geek who just loves games, man. And I'll tell you, this is an exciting time for me because finally next month on January 15th, we're going to be premiering Game On on the Twit Network, which I'll be co-hosting with Veronica Belmont. And uh, there's a lot of people who uh, the only negative buzz we've gotten about it is that 
is the people who don't know me or Veronica well enough to know how personally obsessed with with gaming we are. Oh yeah. Uh, who people you know people think like oh this is so slickly polished another G4 extravaganza where it's all form and no substance and I do not think you could be farther off. Form I think and that, substance aren't mutually exclusive. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. It is very slickly produced. Uh, but I'll tell you, we've got uh, we got Justin Robert Young writing for us on the show, and he is whip crack smart. I mean, his razor wit, and I love the stuff he's writing. It's got a real edge to it. And Justin is obsessed with finding out about what Veronica and I feel about the games that we're talking about. And he has a real knack for taking our own sentiments and put them in uh, uh, really engaging uh, prose for the show. Mm-hmm. You actually kind of jumped beyond what was going to be my next question was, in other circles, I think you are better known as that kind of internet personality from all your various shows. So tell me about that transition and how that started from magician to podcaster and what attracted you so much about this whole field of new media. Well, I knew that I wanted to get exposure and get seen. And when I first got started, that meant figuring out a way to get paid to do something I love. So the first five years of my career were spent doing nothing but but figuring out how to make good money, performing the exact show I wanted to do without compromise. And uh, a big part of that was realizing that colleges, a lot of college kids like this weird stuff I tend to do. So I pushed really hard for colleges. And around 2005 or so, I realized that uh, that I'm doing really well as far as the live shows go, but I'm not getting any more famous. I'm not getting enough exposure. Mm. I really need to look into television. Kind, kind of so, trying to break through that glass ceiling. Exactly, because there are a lot of people who are super talented, but they get caught in these hamster wheels, either performing on cruise ships or in Las Vegas or any of these places where – there's enough money in the next gig to where they don't invest in the very long term and instead they just keep doing the next one show and then they get caught and then they're 53 years old and nobody ever really <laughs> knew them but they're doing the exact same act right. they wrote 30 years ago and they 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 hate it at this point. And I didn't want to be one of those guys who got burnt out. So I pitched a uh, a show to uh, the, uh, Court TV before they were True TV about scams and cons and debunking the paranormal and supernatural and they loved it. Uh, But the person who brought me in over there eventually left to go be vice president at Sundance and somebody else inherited my project and she Uh just didn't get me. She didn't get the subject of the show. But meanwhile, this was my first dance with television. And so I figured whatever they say, they're the experts. So I'll just say yes. And I found myself all the way to the very end when they're saying, uh, hey, how about this? Why don't you comb your crazy spiky hair and wear this sweater? So <laughs> Danger, Will Robinson. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? But meanwhile, I was like, yeah, sure, sure, sure. And there is some hilarious development footage that we posted <laughs> sure. on the old BB Live show of me with my hair combed looking like a total dork with some very bland footage that just went nowhere. And then they ended up passing on it. And no it was wonder, the result right? of that whole experience, that whole top down, you know, television tells you what you're going to be, what they're buying, what they want to do. And everyone has to say yes, whether they know it's right or wrong. And I just hated it. And I was just like, I want mm-hmm. to, I don't care if it's television. I don't care if it's radio. I don't care if it's cell phones. I want to be out there and have people know what I'm about. Right. And it was around this time that that This Week in Tech was getting popular when Revision 3 was just launching. And I saw the possibilities of new media. So I pitched them Scam School. And uh, a number of networks were interested, but Revision 3 was first to bite. And so they gave me that, uh, you know, the initial pilot. And we launched the show. 
And very quickly, I saw that there was a lot of passion behind what I was up to, but I knew that there was no way to galvanize a big fan base at only five minutes once a week. So that's why we started launching the live streams, doing the uh, the BB live show. I knew that I needed a safe place to be bad before I could be good. <laughs> so we would do every Tuesday night these totally off the cuff, completely improv comedy night shows. And some of them were legitimately terrible, but some moments were legitimately genius. And that's when I got to directly interact with the fan base and I, I became truly passionate about it. And I realized that I don't care if I ever get famous on television. I don't even care if I ever get a TV deal. As long as I can have this level of exposure to this fantastic of a group of people, I could do internet and podcasting forever. And that's really when I started to double down and say yes. That's when you know I started co-hosting Framerate with Tom Merritt. And uh, since then, we started hosting uh, Game On, of course, on Twit, but also uh, the Cantina Band and the Weird Things podcast. I, I love, love, love what is possible with new media and the medium of podcasting specifically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey, you're, you're preaching to the choir here on, on that aspect. I, I suspect so. <laughs> was that kind of an adjustment period when you're so much of what you do is, is a live broadcast. And with that unpredictable nature where you've got no editing, no safety net, and everything just goes out there to that internet audience. I think a lot of, um, when I first started, I started off, with nobody telling me what I should do or how I should get good, but only this vague understanding that the more you do something, the better you get out of it. And this is, this is, you know, a decade before Malcolm Gladwell writes outliers where he talks about the importance of 10,000 hours right. of doing something to become truly exceptional at it. So when I was in high uh, college every Friday night for, for three months straight, I would drive out with this other guy and the two of us would street perform on sixth street. And we actually found out that you needed a permit to perform on the sidewalk, but you didn't need a permit if you had permission to stand on someone else's land. So we found a one and a half foot strip of land that was technically private property. Uh. So that day, we were not performing illegally. We were only trespassing and trespassing. You had to have somebody complaining who actually owned the land. Right. So we stood on that private property without permission and would perform, uh, you know, once, once a week. And it's amazing. All the sitting around and talking and practicing in your living room. None of that counts when you just get up and start. And all of a sudden you see everything different and it shapes the way you come up with new ideas, right? There's, there's, a lot of young magicians have these these ideas, these grand ideas of what their stage show will look like. And then they find themselves performing under fluorescent lights in a cafeteria of an elementary school. And they realize that, oh, I didn't take into uh, account many of these practical concerns. Same thing happened with podcasting. So I learned a lot during all the live performances. And then I learned a lot about studio production with Scam School. And I think what I'm doing now, for example, this interview right here is the perfect blend of those things. When you f figure out what elements matter for a uh, live production and what elements matter for a produced podcast and you're able to marry the best of both worlds, I think it's been a 12, 13 year journey, but I'm really excited about what the next decade holds for me. And something that I think really kind of sets you apart from some of what's out there is your interaction with your passionate fans in the chat realm. How significant is that direct communication for you? It is 100% the foundation upon which all of my live stuff has happened. Here's the thing. I don't, I don't want to say names because I don't want to get anyone pissed at me, but there's a, uh, there's a pair of uh, mind readers who 
I hear every time I go to a different college, I say, hey, who have you had here in the past? And who did you like and who was a diva? And mainly because I'm a total gossip whore. But it's also because I want to know what the students' expectations are. Because a lot of times, sometimes I'll be in a performing arts arena at a, at a college. And then the next week, I will be in that cafeteria or performing in a hallway at noon for a bunch of people who didn't even know there would be a magic show this week. And there was a couple of people whose names I heard over and over and over again, that they were divas and they expected X, Y, and Z. And I just remember being filled with this rage, this inexplicable rage for these people who thought they were entitled to something. And it's like, if I could just say one thing to any performer out there, there's nothing greater in all of life than doing something you love, than following your passion. Absolutely. And you are one of the rare people who have been granted this gift. Mm -hmm. And the only reason it exists is because of these college students and these fans of yours. You owe them everything and they owe you nothing. And so I think a lot of that has shaped my experience with the chat room where there are a lot of people who roll their eyes at the, the rabble out there making noise. Whereas on just about every show I do, I try to invite them in if I can yeah, yeah. to say, I want, you know, you guys are the lifeblood and you are the essence of everything that that's happening here when it's electric it's electric because what you guys are putting into it and so um i have as you have noticed obviously heavily heavily relied upon the the shoulders of the demon hordes of the internet and uh, so far they've treated me very very well and i hope to go on to to continue my fine relationship with the internet for, for a long time <laughs> i'm sorry I'm, I'm just trying to get over that visual of the demon hordes of the internet and what exactly that would look like oh my gosh no, no, look <laughs> Uh, you talk about Occupy Wall Street. We've been seeing this on the internet for five years, right? I mean, it's like we see them self-organized into these structures that dig and Reddit, and there's something horrific about 4chan, but there's something beautiful about it as well. It's <laughs> right. this gestalt, this hive mind principle, and it's like, to me, it's absolutely fascinating. And if you could tap into things that people are truly passionate about, I mean, there's there's just about nothing you can't accomplish. Right. So, I mean, let's see here. Gosh, you've got Scam School, NSFW, Frame Rate, Game On, Weird Things. Seems like every time I look, you're launching another show or another project with everything is you it, wait do. A minute, wait a minute. Is this an intervention? Is that what this <laughs> is? You're trying to stop me? Yeah, yeah. Did Bonnie put you up to this? <laughs> but with everything you do, how do you find the time? Oh, dude, I'll tell you. It's one of those things. When you work for yourself, when you do something you love, you will work harder and more hours than you ever did at mm. any job previously. And yet it will never feel like work. I honestly don't feel like I've worked since I quit my job at the phone queue at Dell in May of 1999. Now, that's not to say I haven't put a lot of effort into a lot of things. There's been 20 hour days. There's been 16 hour nonstop drives. There's been three weeks straight. I mean, you know, last year at, at Universal Halloween Horror Nights, it was eight weeks of nonstop every single day, 10 to 12 hour days, but it was gorgeous and beautiful and a total blast, utterly exhausting and utterly fulfilling. So with that in mind, I look at podcasting uh, compared to live tour scheduling, dude, mm. uh, travel is That's such true. a boner. Yeah. Travel is so rough. I mean, do you realize how delightful it was to me to just be able to look at my watch and say, oh, hey, guess I got that interview on Geek Cred. Let me head upstairs to my, right. to my studio. And then as soon as I'm done, I'm going to walk right back into that same world that I want to be in. I'm going to play Skyrim in only 40 minutes. Right. I mean, this is, this is a dream compared <laughs> to actually touring. 
Yeah, I hear you. I have friends who are and have been in bands and done national tours, and I don't know how they do it. It's brutal. It is. It is brutal, but it's also highly rewarding mm-hmm. because I, I'm firmly of the conviction that you live your whole life just for those last 10 minutes to reflect upon it before you croak. And uh, damned if I'm not going to have some good stories to tell myself. Oh, right for sure. I yeah, yeah. So how did you meet and connect with your frequent collaborator and co-host, uh, Justin Robert Young? You know, I used to joke that for one of my best friends, it was amazing because I saw Justin maybe once, maybe twice a year, but it's been a a very weird organic relationship. Justin Robert Young, of course, is still the editor-in-chief at iTrix, the number one magic news blog, and he and I first met when I launched Scam School and had a good chat, and then he came up to see me perform at Halloween Horror Nights, and shortly after that, I needed just somebody to bang ideas around with for the BB Live show. And when BB Live first started, I didn't have anything in my bag of tricks except for magic. I knew I was the host of Scam School, so I guess we'll talk about magic and Scam School, so who should I get on the show? So I called uh, Justin Robert Young, and there was a real chemistry between the two of us. And I remember Justin, like, when it was over with, saying, seriously, anytime, anytime you want to go live, anytime you ever need another person, call me and I'll be there. And so I just kept telling him, hey, I'm going live. And he kept in every single time, 100% of the time, he was like, all right, I'm on. And uh, then after about, uh, I guess, almost a year of it, coming up on eight, 10 months, when it came time to put together a version of the show for Leo Laporte's Twit Network, I could imagine how to do the show without just about anyone except for Justin Robert Young, because Mm. I suddenly realized I've never done a show without Justin Robert. (laughs) That's been a big part of the natural chemistry between the two of us. And the other thing is our natural rhythms, as far as interacting with each other, we've always had to deal with the Skype lag between the two of us. And I think that shaped the very nature of our interaction to where there'll be times I need to hand stuff off to him so that I could be fixing up the video elements for the next thing we're going to do, or maybe, maybe Skype will croak and I'll, I'll know that I need to cover for it for a little bit. I think it's one of those things of the experience shaping the very nature of the relationship. Hmm. Yeah. So a lot of the people I like to talk to on the show are creative people in some way. So what inspires you creatively? You know what? A lot of people will forward me magic related stuff and I cannot bring myself to watch anything. And, And I mean this with all love and all affection to my friends Dan White, uh, for, uh, for David Blaine, for the work that Chris Angel's done, even my mentors, Penn and Teller. It is extraordinarily hard for me to get inspired looking at other magicians. I find myself irrationally upset as if it's some kind of weird lose-lose scenario. And the lose-lose is that either if I love it, I lose because here's yet another genius idea that I'll never do because I, I don't want to look like anyone else out there. So right. it's just Seeing anyone else's work is just a catalog of brilliant things that you will never do, Brian. On the flip side, if I hate it, well, then that's a lose too because I wasted my mind, right. my time and I looked at a bunch of crap that didn't do anything for me. So as a result, I try very hard to take my inspiration from other things. You know, I wanted to take, uh, for example, the the horror routine I do in the show where I make a ghost appear on everyone's cell phone. You know, you draw inspiration from stuff like, you know, The Ring or or mm. The Grudge or any of these, these fantastic J-horror movies. Or likewise, 
if you're going to eat fire and break bricks over your head, you want to draw inspiration from comic books or from the conundrums of what happens like, a, a, you know, in a movie like Unbreakable. And I think that's the important thing is that you grab your inspiration from genres outside of the one you actually work in. Right, right. So what might you say has been the secret to your success? I guess if you beat your head on a rock enough time, <laughs> the rock breaks. I don't know. Um, wow, I, I didn't mean for that to be a direct reference to the fact that I break cinder blocks over my head, but I guess that works too. Yep. <laughs> um, I, what I tell people, people ask me for advice, and, and this is my standard advice. If you ever hear any other interview that I'm on, I always give the same advice to everyone. How do I X, Y, and Z? First of all, I don't care whether it's a magic show, a comedy act, whether it's a novel, whether it's a, a podcast or even a desire to create a viral video, whatever it is that's wrong with your art, it's nothing that 10,000 hours of practice won't fix. Right. Or the way I put it for magicians is whatever's wrong with your show, it's nothing a thousand shows won't fix, right? Yeah, that's what I tell people. When you start, you're going to suck and it's okay to suck. Well, and that's just it, is fail and fail quickly. Fail repeatedly, fail nonstop. Right. Uh, what's the old trope? Uh, if you want to double your success rate, double your failure rate. Mm. That is absolutely true. And I'll tell you, when I talk to people, the one thing that I seem to smell shockingly often is people's fear of failure. And it's like, look, failure is not pleasant. It is also the single most important key to success. So get out there and start failing. That's why I started performing on the street because right. it was a safe place to fail. That's why we created the BB live shows. And of course, and I think they're still all up there on Ustream. There's legitimately terrible moments where everything breaks. There's still moments that everything totally fails on an NSFW show. And that's good. Right. Because I still have, what, two or three more decades ahead of work in front of me. And it's important that you get your failures out of the way to start moving forward. Absolutely. Okay, so rapid fire time. So don't think too much. Just answer with whatever comes to mind. 3.14159. <laughs> Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Trek. I can't believe these words are coming out of my mouth. <laughs> Kirk or Picard? Picard. That's a dumb one. Come on. <laughs> Marvel or DC? Marvel. I've always been a Marvel fan. In fact, almost to my own detriment because I'm actually extraordinarily poorly versed in the DC universe. Mm. Mac or PC? <sighs> you don't want PC. I you figured you that's what I was going to hear. Sometimes I almost ask the question just to get the reaction. <laughs> well, okay. Well, so how often, what's the spread for geeks? Because to me, a geek is somebody who gets in there and tinkers and Mac at least used to be not very friendly to the tinkering experience. But I think now that it's got, you know, a Linux based core, I think that's uh, that, that was the real sea change to adopt the hardcore geeks into the Mac sphere. Right. And, and in fairness, I asked the question, like it's one or the other, they aren't necessarily mutually exclusive. I mean, just right yeah. now doing this show, I've got a PC and my Mac right next to it, using them both in tandem to record this interview. So, and I should point out also that of course I'm broadcasting from, you know, a quad core liquid cooled overclocked PC, but I'm sitting here fiddling around with my iPhone at the same time. I love the iOS devices. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Robots, pirates, or zombies? Robots. So you welcome our future robot overlords? I ain't welcoming them. I'm just saying they're going to win. <laughs> ain't no pirates going to take over the world. Ain't no zombies going to take over the world. I guarantee you robots will be running this in a, in a millennium. So, so you've just come to terms with the inevitability of it. Yeah, look, here's the thing. Our poor, wet, soggy, carbon-based 
bodies. They're not <laughs> going to do so well out among the stars. So what we're going to do is we're going to build our children, the robots, and we will imbue into them once the singularity hits our consciousness. And our children will go and explore the stars and it will be beautiful and elegant and it will be right that, uh, that we will be the parents of history. Hmm. If you could have a superpower, what would it be and why? Oh my God, you have no idea how much I've thought about this. <laughs> it's one I have to sell every time. First of all, you got your fake BS powers, the like molecule man, I can change all molecules. Okay, guess what? You're Jesus. Congratulations. Those don't count, right? I'm talking about something that's a legitimate, like just a plain Jane superpower and something that would be practical in real life because I don't want to be no havoc blowing up everything all around. That right. would be a big pain in the ass. I have a friend of mine who says, I don't want the power to break windows with my mind. I can break windows with my fist. And I don't <laughs> because windows are expensive and you have to replace them. He says that the only power he wants is the ability to make his eyes glow red. So anytime mm. someone pisses him off, anytime <laughs> someone hands him the wrong order at McDonald's, he could just go. Whoa. It's like uh, the Gua old from Stargate. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's uh, awesome. Me personally. Me personally, I would take the powers of the invisible girl instantly. First mm. of all, and depending on, there's been different interpretations over the years, but essentially she can make herself invisible. She can make anything she touches invisible, right? So already you got an instant career as a multi-million dollar specialist in medicine. You don't need no FMRIs. You don't need mm. no CAT scans. Just walk up. Let me put your hand on your belly. And now we can directly see the tumor with our eyes. Already I got a paycheck. But that business with the force fields, they play that down. She can fly riding on a force field. She can choke any enemy, making just a little force bubble in their throat, right? She can, uh, she, I mean, dude, invisible girl powers for the, for the okay. win. Okay. And would you use these powers to do good or would you use them for your own personal gain? Well, whoa, whoa. Why, why, why are those two separate categories? Huh? <laughs> you could do right and make a buck while doing it. Ain't nothing wrong with that. All right. All right. I would host motivational seminars where I convince other people they can also move objects with their mind if they just <laughs> give me enough money. What's your favorite science fiction curse word? I got back into Shazbot, not from the Mork and Mindy use, but once I heard it used in Tribes. Tribes was a uh, these massively multiplayer uh, deathmatch games. There's a new Tribes title coming back right now. Right. But there were servers where they would ban the use of Shazbot because so quickly <laughs> it became a legitimately like hateful curse word. Huh. So I'm back to be like, you know, like Shazbot. And it's also not so well used. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, that is it for Rapid Fire. So getting back, what might be the geekiest thing you've ever done? Oh, dear God, I can't believe you're asking me this. I'll tell you the coolest geeky thing I've okay. ever done. How about this? I designed a magic trick that's pretty geeky off the bat, right? right? That was performed by video game mogul and creator of Origin System, uh, Lord British himself, Richard Garriott. What? That's pretty geeky too. Nice. Yep. I invented a magic trick that Lord British performed. Wait for it. On the International Space Station. Oh, God. <laughs> Each step on by itself is cool. Building up. Holy crap. That's... that's <laughs> I invented a that magic That just had trick to blow your mind when you heard about that. That Richard Garriott performed on the International Space Station. That, I think that's about as good and geeky as I could possibly get. It's like, yeah, it's all downhill from there. 
<laughs> it really is. In fact, if you if you check out Scam School episode 50, we actually have footage of him performing it on there too. So what new projects do you have coming up to look forward to? Well, obviously, uh, the turn of the next year, beginning of January, we've got Game On that we're launching. Really excited. I'm actually neck deep in writing the Scam School book right now and uh, getting ready to launch some other stuff that's a little bit top secret. There's a couple of TV projects that TV is one of these perpetual, like they're just bizarre lottery tickets. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, ring, ring. Hey, it's money. Maybe. Right. Hang in there. I'm like, sure. Wait. Okay. Whatever. I mean, don't get me wrong. Old media money spends as well as new media money. Right. But th that's the great thing about new media is I don't have to hold my breath. Yeah. I can sit there and roll my eyes and say, yeah, call me when there's a check involved. And I get <laughs> right back in, you know? Right. So where can people go to find more about you and all your multitude of projects? If you dig the stage show, if you want to find out if I'm coming to your hometown, head on over to shwood.com. That's S-H-W-O-O-D.com. You should be able to see my tour schedule. You can see the five-minute demo reel with me doing a bunch of performances on live television shows. See me eat fire, stick nails in my eyes, that kind of thing. If you want to learn a bit of badass magic that you could fool your friends at the bar scamschool.tv now has over 200 episodes that's like 40 hours of content Holy all crap. of which it is it is the most popular magic podcast in the world it's uh it's awesome and i i get emails from people all over the world telling me how you know i get an email from a kid in bulgaria telling me he's now super popular at school nice. because he watches scam school and that kind of thing really makes me excited and of course if you want to be among the hardest of the hardcore why don't you join us tuesday nights at 10 p.m eastern 9 p.m central at nsfwshow.com. It's a live comedy extravaganza with me and Justin Robert Young and you, because the chat room always plays a very important role in the show. It's live, it's electric, and oftentimes disastrous. Check out. <laughs> disastrous in the best possible way. Yeah, no, look, look, we don't fail. We epically fail. <laughs> well, Brian, thank you so much for talking with me. You've definitely got some geek cred. Woo! <laughs> Well, that's just about going to do it for this episode. But if you've got any questions, comments, suggestions, feedback, make your voice heard. Call 818-925-4335 or email geekcred at geekcred.net. You can also find the show notes and much more information, including links to Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, chat, how you can donate and support the show and much more over at geekcred.net slash 46. For Brian Brushwood, I've been Steve Rickyberg, and that's going to do it for me. So until next time, geek on. Geek on.